<laughs> Once again, it's one of my episodes, so there is no intro. <laughs> completely silent i don't know why i can't think i don't i think it's because um of the way i talk like i <laughs> i have a lot of issues with the way you talk <laughs> well just i'm very abrupt when i want to start talking about something so like we'll be sitting on the couch and i'm just like you know how like you know how mooses swim <laughs> like, <laughs> i'm not used to segueing from silence into what i want to say yeah i'm sitting enjoying my silence kids are asleep i'm just just living in the moment, all of a sudden. Do you know what I learned about moose? <laughs> yeah, so, welcome to Hardly Paranormal. <laughs> the episode has now begun. <laughs> and start. And start. So, before we get started on today's topic, I wanted to give a shout out to Dr. N over at the Friends Psych Files, who played our promo recently in one of her episodes. We really, really appreciate it. Um, and you guys should definitely head on over there and give her a listen because she just put out an episode, as per my suggestion, ooh, ooh about uh, Richard Kuklinski, who was the the Iceman killer. He was like a, a hitman. And I haven't listened to the episode yet because she just released it as we've begun recording. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to. Uh, and we actually have her promo. So you can listen to her promo right now. The Forensic Files is a new podcast that puts a twist on traditional true crime. Join Dr. N as she explores true crime through the lens of forensic psychology. Can you make a murderer? Can we trust expert witnesses? How are false memories made? How likely is it that you would confess to a crime that you didn't commit? All these questions and much more are discussed on the podcast. Weekly episodes will touch on different topics, stories, and empirically-based research that highlight forensic psychology's contribution to true crime. Learn more about this exciting field and how it informs the legal system from the crime scene to the courtroom. So that was Dr. N's soothing and sweet voice, mm -hmm. which you wouldn't really expect. Uh, the topics that she talks about, you wouldn't expect her to sound like that if you just looked at the episode titles. Like typographies of a or typologies of a mass murderer. Oh my god! Like, and she talks about you know multiple personality disorders and how serial killers work and like murder ASMR. Yeah, oh my god, yeah, <laughs> it's true crime ASMR for sure. Yeah, she's incredibly, incredibly intelligent. Uh, she is a professor. I she's mean, too smart to be talking to us. Honestly, yeah. But no, she's really, really smart. Her show is really, really good, really informative. And it does give a really interesting twist on the true crime genre. Because when we watch a lot of true crime stuff, and we listen to a lot of true crime stuff, yeah. most of the time it seems like the people talking about it, they know a lot about true crime, but not a lot about the actual science and work that goes into it. Yeah. So it's really nice to hear somebody talk about it who is really, really knowledgeable about, you know, how the crimes are solved and how, you know, it's really, it's really interesting. So go ahead, go give the Forensic Files a listen. I think you'll very, very much enjoy it. Yes. So, Lacey. Yes. Do you know what today's episode is going to be about? Um, Bigfoot. <laughs> no, we have a plan for Bigfoot. Oh, it's never Bigfoot. <laughs> We're gonna marry Bigfoot. Oh. <laughs> I love it. No, so the topic for today's episode is in the same spirit as the Forensic Files. Spirit! Spirit! <laughs> <laughs> you know what, actually, I don't want to say that, because that makes it sound like it's going to be a lot smarter than it is. <laughs> um, we're not doing near the amount of smart talk that uh, Dr. N does. Or research. <laughs> or research. No, we do a lot of research. I do a lot of research. <laughs> <laughs> so today's topic is going to be about ghost hunting. 
which is something we're obviously very familiar with. We've done a teeny tiny amount ourselves, mm-hmm. and we know some ghost hunters. Yeah. But we're not going to be talking about ghost hunting as a hobby, because that's what it is. <laughs> we're going to be talking about some of the tools that are used in ghost hunting, and sort of debunking them. Yeah. Also, hi to our favorite uh, ghost hunters, Charlie and Mark. Yeah. <laughs> hi. Bye. <laughs> uh, oh, and also Jaden and the gang. Uh, they do a little bit of ghost hunting in our local area. So if they're listening, hi, good Jerry's luck. Jerry's waving right now. I'm waving to <laughs> nobody. <laughs> so why don't we start by talking a little bit about the ghost hunting, quote unquote, ghost hunting experience that we had. Okay. Uh, this was how many years ago? Oh my God. Probably 10. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh my goodness. So yeah, it was about 10 years ago and we were staying at my older brother's house in uh, South Jersey and we had house sat for him. I I don't know if this happened when we were house sitting. Yeah. Was it? Was it that time? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We were house sitting during the winter because him and his wife had gone to Germany to visit her family because she's from Germany. And before they had left, this was the time when like smartphones had just become like a thing. Yeah. And he had one of those apps, the ghost hunting apps. (laughs) I don't recall a whole lot about how it worked. Um, it just popped up with random names and words. And, and it had like radar on yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was supposed to be the ghost around us was saying the words. Yeah. And I remember it said German and then wife. And we were like, ooh. We all freaked out. We did. We all freaked out. Jerry and I were on Believers back then. Yeah. And then it was shortly after they left and we were in the house by ourselves. Would you like to tell what happened? Because you witnessed it. So I was sitting on the couch and just minding my own business. And all of a sudden the clock starts spinning really fast. So I was like shaking and I was scared because we just talked about ghosts. And I'm knocking on the door where Jerry's in the bathroom. And I was like, get out, get out, get out. And we were like freaking out because we couldn't find it. We couldn't figure out why the clock was spinning like that. So, yeah. I mean, obviously it's ghosts, but then it turns out it just does that at midnight. Yeah, it resets itself. Yeah. Also, their dog, Bender, their their black lab, he was barking at nothing in their room. Oh, I so, hated that. Yeah. So, we were kind of primed, is what happened. Mm-hmm. We had been talking about ghosts. We had been, you know, we're in a new place by ourselves at night, you know. We were ready to be scared. Yeah. And we did something that a lot of ghost hunters do, which is before investigating what caused the clock to behave that way, we immediately attributed its behavior to ghosts. And that's really the secret behind so much ghost hunting evidence, as we are going to see. So there's actually a lot of ghost hunting tools, and when I say tools, I mean technology that are utilized in ghost hunting nowadays and i really there's so many that this episode would be very very long if we tried to actually talk about all of them (laughs) so we're going to condense this down to three main categories of technology and we'll talk about that uh the one we're going to talk about is the connect which is the the laser grid device that uh, hooks up to your xbox that that looks like a rave (laughs) (laughs) yeah we're also going to talk about emf meters um, as well as like the K2 meter. Isn't that the band that's saying how bizarre? <laughs> what? Oh, wait. That's OMC. I'm sorry. Oh, just... <laughs> You're thinking of AFI? Miss <laughs> 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 Murder. But yeah, EMF meters includes a lot of technology. I know that they are all basically EMF meters, like the K2 and the ghost meter. Mm-hmm. But we're going to talk a little bit just about that grouping of technology and how that is used in ghost hunting. And finally, the big one, the granddaddy of <laughs> ghost hunting 
uh, EVP phenomenon. Not necessarily digital recorders or spirit boxes, but just that whole phenomenon of electronic ghost voices. I bet the ghosts are pretty stressed out with all those. <laughs> Do you know where they like to go on vacation? <laughs> Malibu! <laughs> Come on, that I'm is not funny. Laughing. I'm not laughing. <laughs> So the Xbox Kinect was a piece of technology that uh, was made pretty famous in Paranormal Activity 4. The kids in that movie had it set up and while it was, it, it puts out like a grid of lights and, you know, little speckles. And with this, they were able to see the demon in the house. And this suddenly, this idea, which had never occurred to paranormal investigators before, became really popular from that point forward. It shares this in common with the Ouija board. Ouija boards weren't really used that commonly for, you know, uh, by the public until after the Exorcist, and then they became really popular for ghost hunting. Yeah, and was sold at Toys R Us. Yeah. Um, I had I had a glow-in-the-dark Ouija board. <laughs> I think they were owned by Milton and Bradley. <laughs> yeah, that's that's wild. Well, they're actually called spirit boards. Ouija board is a brand name. It's oh, like Band-Aid. Yeah. I did not know that. So like a lot of other paranormal investigative technology, whether or not it's able to detect ghosts is based on anecdotal accounts, unsupported beliefs, and in the case of Paranormal Activity 4, uh, fiction. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> So there's another piece of technology that's often used in ghost hunting called the laser grid, which functions in a similar way, although it's a little less, it's a little hot, less high tech than the Kinect. And it's basically just a device that projects a grid. They're also called shadow detectors. Ooh. And the idea is that it can detect movement in a dark area where you- Just catches Peter Pan. <laughs> oh, his shadow. Okay. Yeah, that's basically it. Um. So the detector part of the Kinect, the way that it works is you have the thing, the bar that's set up on top of your TV. This is made up of an RGB camera, which is a red, green, blue camera, a uh, standard 640 by 480 resolution camera, um, and I think it records at about 30 frames a second. Then there's a monochrome infrared depth sensor which is a very fancy uh, name for a device that is very important to how this thing works, and an infrared light emitter, and then it has some microphones. So the way that this works is it shoots out those lasers that make up a sort of a speckled grid. And there's this thing called time of flight, which is how long it takes for that laser to project from the connect, hit an object in the room, and then reflect back at the connect. And that amount of time is is basically it calculates the distance between the connect and that object using that depth detector. So it can it's like echolocation almost. So it can map out a room pretty quickly and figure out how deep the room is and, and how far away everything is. It kind of looks like when you project those Christmas um, lights onto a house. Uh-huh. It's they, pretty cool. It's, they're really cool, yeah. I, I got to use one at uh, one point, and it's it's interesting. It's a really remarkable piece of technology, uh, especially given the fact that it's it's mostly used for video games. What it can do is pretty impressive. It also does another calculation, which is as people are moving through this field of lasers, those lasers reflect at different angles. They don't always reflect back perfectly. And those angles, whether they're subtle or dramatic, they actually help the device determine if people are moving and in what direction so that it can create new calculations on where a player is in the field up to, I think it's about a centimeter of depth and about three millimeters of height. So that it's like, it's accurate within that amount. So it's a pretty amazing piece of technology that can track movement really, really effectively. Um, and in order to track the movement, it assigns 48 points on each player that it then assembles into a skeleton. 
and it's able to layer that skeleton with armor or whatever their character is supposed to look like so that it can animate it. Now the important thing about that is that the Kinect is supposed to be used in a very specific way. The instructions recommend that there's at least 8 feet of space between the Kinect and the players, and that the players have roughly 6 feet of space between them, and that the space they're playing in be open, because while you're running around and jumping, you don't want to crash into furniture and whatnot. Do you think that the ghosts come out, like, just to play with it? Like, they're not trying to haunt anybody, they just want to play some video games? Or they're just interested in it? Yeah, they're like, what is this? Whoa, like a Victorian ghost is like, cool, lasers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How would they know what lasers are? They heard people talking about them. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and the Connect, this technology has been adapted for a lot of different uses. Um, the most famous one that I'm aware of is they use it to map out the insides of caves because the lasers can go through water. And these computers, the software that they use in the Connect, when it's adapted for these purposes, it can even determine that time of flight through water, which is really impressive. That's dope. Yeah, so they're, they have some other interesting applications. Now, how does it identify a person? You might think it's because the person is moving through the laser grid and it assumes that that's a person, but that's actually not it. They actually have a learning, a piece of like software that is a learning software. So they fed it millions and millions of images of people and videos of people moving to give it like a general impression of what people look like so that it can identify them when they move into that field of space. I'm pretty sure this is how Terminator started. <laughs> yeah, as a, as a video game system. Yeah. <laughs> Skynet was all about catching flying fish and then (laughs) turned into a big massacre. I believe it. (laughs) What I've read about how the Kinect is, you know, fallible is that it really does, specifically the Kinect that's used for the Xbox games, it really does rely on you having a clean space of play. Basically, the area you're going to be playing in has to have nothing in it other than the players. And no one who plays video games has clean space. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> that's very I s- rude. I speak from experience. <laughs> you're a big video game person. Yeah, like you got to move the code red bottles, and it's just it's a hassle. You're you're pretty messy too. So this all <laughs> this all tracks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, Ghost Adventures most famously uses the Kinect to do their investigations. And a lot of times they have it hooked up to a laptop and they're just kind of moving around a room. And you've seen the videos where a skeleton pops up in a place where there is no people. It starts screaming. (laughs) Begging for it all to be over. And then it disappears. Or it'll move across the room suddenly. And sometimes someone, one of the investigators, will kind of reach a hand out to that skeleton. And it will, its hand will kind of wibble towards the person. Almost like they're reaching out. Hands. (laughs) Touching hands. (laughs) And there's actually a really good reason for that. One, in every one of the videos I've ever seen of paranormal investigators using the Kinect to detect ghosts, and these skeletons appear, the first thing I've noticed is that the spine of the skeleton never moves. It's always stationary. Instead, the arms and legs will move around like wild. Maybe it once had scoliosis and then it got fixed and now it doesn't move. (laughs) No. (laughs) I don't know why I always shoot down my theories. What's happening is that the while the Kinect software is able to uh, identify people based on the, all the millions of images it has, it doesn't really have a filter to filter out things that resemble people. So if there's like a trash bag or if there's a couch or if there's something that vaguely looks like a person, it's going to think it's a person and it's going to assign... One <laughs> <laughs> person looks like a couch? Uh, Professor Slughorn from... <laughs> <laughs> Name one other... Name one, um, no, I'm not going to. Exactly. (laughs) But that's the thing, is that's the technology doing what it's supposed to do. It's not malfunctioning. It's just, it thinks that that is probably a person because there's a shape there that looks like a person. 
Now, you might ask, okay, well then why does it assign arms and legs? Because obviously like a trash bag doesn't look like an entire person and neither does a couch. Because it makes guesses. If it can't see an arm or a leg, it'll make a guess based on the probability that the person's arm could be here or there. That's why in all those videos, the arms and legs are jittering around like crazy. Oh. It's because it's not really sure where they should be. It's I making kinda, a guess. I thought they were just funky. No. <laughs> That's also why when someone moves close to it, the hand will move towards them, is because the computer can't see that arm on the, the ghost, quote-unquote. It has to guess that the arm is probably reaching out to the other arm. It doesn't know. It's making a guess. So this is still a widely used technology for paranormal investigators for a few reasons. One is all ghost hunting can be sort of filed down to searching for anomalies. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime you're using technology to ghost hunt, whatever evidence you're gathering is an anomaly. You actually don't know what's caused it. So it's something that has happened that is out of the ordinary that needs to be investigated so you can determine if it's a ghost or if it's something explainable. With the Kinect, that's exactly what's happening, is they're seeing the skeletons appear where there's nobody. And instead of going, okay, why is that appearing there? Let's eliminate, let's investigate and eliminate any variables that could be causing it. They just go, oh, automatically a ghost. Yeah, they never connect the dots. <laughs> okay, okay. Real quick though, um, do you think ghosts prefer to live on dead ends? <laughs> I wish for once you would ask me a question that actually pertained to what we're talking about because you had a curious, because you were curious or something. No, go on. Go ahead. Finish your, your thought. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> but like when they leave their dead end house, um, they probably put on their sheet belts. <laughs> I like that they drive cars and they're worried about their safety. <laughs> Aw, yeah. Well, I mean, they died once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're done. <laughs> I don't know how ghosts work. Nobody does. That's the whole point <laughs> of the episode. Zach Baggins does. Yeah. <laughs> So one of the things that I've seen, speaking of Zach Baggins, uh, on Ghost Adventures is they'll be using the Kinect and there'll be one of these anomalous skeletons. And then one of the investigators will move into the field of these lasers and the skeleton, the anomalous one, will disappear and then reappear in another part of the room. And what they usually attribute this to is the ghost or specter or whatever is like blinking across the room. But what it looked like the first time I ever saw one of these videos was that they introduced a new element to the connect that was more that conformed more to what the connect understood to be a person so it saw a real person walk in put a map of you know mapped them out with a skeleton and then it decided that whatever it thought was a skeleton before probably wasn't one then it saw a new object that looked like it could be a skeleton or a person and then assigned a skeleton to it i like that they think that ghosts teleport yeah no evidence for that but sure why not yeah <laughs> i feel like ghosts would just float along or they wouldn't be bothered. Like, <laughs> they just wouldn't be bothered. Like, if I'm dead, I don't want to hang out where I died. Like, you could go anywhere and do anything. Why would you hang out where you died? Do you think that um, the ghosts have heard of Zach Baggins? They're like, ah, oh, fuck, Zach Baggins is here. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be kind of like in Beetlejuice, where they're just really irritated by other people being in their space, <laughs> regardless of what they're trying to do. That's fair. So that process that we talked about a little bit before about the connect, where it's basically sending a laser, the laser reflects off an object, comes back, and then the depth reader determines, you know, how far the object was based on that, or what angle it reflected back at. It can determine if something is moving. All of those calculations are done 30 times a second. So it's, it's a really, really accurate reading that it gets of the room. 
This is important because this actually is why you see the wibbling around skeletons in these paranormal videos, is it's readjusting what it thinks is there 30 times a second. I like to pretend that the Kinect is just like a little kid. Like, it's just trying to learn. <laughs> like in my head, it's just it's a little boy. Well, and in a way, it actually is learning because with the Kinect, because of the technology that they use to kind of teach it how to identify people, the more you play with it, the faster it identifies people and the more accurate it becomes. Because like Furby. It starts, <laughs> like a, a really terrifying Furby, yeah. yeah. I really don't like when technology learns. It makes me so anxious. Really? Yeah, it freaks me out. Yeah, I guess I could understand that. I mean, I don't really like technology doing things I didn't ask it to do. And I guess learning is part and parcel to that. That weirds me out. <laughs> Every time I think of either Terminator or iRobot, and I don't like it. Ugh. No, thank you. You don't like iRobot? Or, um, what's the what's the one with the girl that's a ro- she gets turned into a robot after she dies? Deadly Friend. Deadly Friend. Yeah. Mm-mm. No, thanks. Or the chopping mall with the security robots. Oh, <laughs> yes. So before, remember when I talked about there was that field of play that the uh, the connect is it basically says if you're gonna play that it should be stationary up on top of the TV the higher the better that the players should be roughly six feet apart and at least eight feet away from the connect camera mm-hmm. well the reason for that is because the way that the connect for the Xbox is designed to be used is specifically for gaming purposes so there's a lot of things it can do and there's a lot of things it can't do and when you have paranormal investigators that are mounting them to laptops and carrying them from room to room or moving them around at all they're not using it the way that it's supposed to be used so a lot of these anomalous skeletons that we're getting and that they're saying are evidence of ghosts it's user error they're not using the technology the way it's supposed to be used so they're getting kind of out of the ordinary results from it. And this is the thing about the Kinect being used that drives me crazy, is that they're finding skeletons, you know, these these anomalous skeletons, Mm -hmm. and they're deciding that they are automatically paranormal, they're automatically a ghost, without first trying to investigate why are they occurring in the first place. It's a false positive that's never investigated. And- Because they're just excited that they saw something. A hundred percent. They're excited that they find there's a skeleton, there's a there's an entity or whatever. It also doesn't help that while the Kinect is trying to figure out what this person looks like based on what it can see, which is basically a bunch of objects and furniture in a room, it'll make the limbs too long or too short and it'll end up looking, so, you know, inhuman in some way. So you end up having this weird, monstrous image in a room full of idiots that are determined to find something monstrous. <laughs> so, of course, they're going to jump to the conclusion that it's a ghost. I actually heard that ghosts don't like rain. Oh my god, why? <laughs> why? Because it dampens their spirits. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Connect. It's a piece of technology that has a very specific purpose and when it's used incorrectly, it's going to give you weird results. It's doing the... It's not that it's malfunctioning. The Connect rarely actually malfunctions in these situations. The problem more is that it's trying its best to do what it's designed to do with while not being used correctly. Mm-hmm. And so you're coming up with all these anomalies. But every single one has been explainable. There's been scientists who have worked with the Kinect to see if, you know, why does it come up with skeletons where there are no people? I love that vision of scientists <laughs> playing with this Kinect. <laughs> and also Microsoft themselves have piped up and said that the reason that these anomalous skeletons appear is because the play area is too small, the play area is too cluttered. The, and when you get the Kinect, if you look through the instruction manual, which I found one and downloaded it and read it, like it even tells you 
that it'll have a hard time identifying the players if there's furniture in the way. So this is really not a ghost hunting tool. It's a confirmation bias machine that you can take on a ghost hunt if you really, really want to convince yourself that there's ghosts. I think there's ghosts because ghosts are bad liars. You can see right through them. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) So the next tool that a lot of people use in ghost hunting shows, I think it's actually becoming more popular lately, is the EMF reader, which is a or EMF meter, depends on who's using it. Uh, The EMF stands for Electromagnetic Field Meter or Reader. And it's basically just a device that can detect electromagnetism that's being emitted by cell phones, basically anything electronic, batteries, sometimes uh, certain kinds of magnets. They also can go off if you move the meter too quickly. What a faulty sounding machine. Yeah, which is why a lot of times ghost hunters typically will set them down on a table and then they'll ask it the spirit. They'll ask spirit questions or they'll ask it to affect the meter. The idea behind this is that the spirits can somehow produce an energy field when they manifest that causes it to go off. Now, you might remember from school that we never learned about this because there's no hard science that backs (laughs) it up whatsoever. To be fair, we did learn about the Jersey Devil. In school. But we didn't learn about it in science class. Okay, alright. Alright, Jerry. Jerry, alright. <laughs> no one was trying to convince us it was real. Now, some paranormal investigators have noted as evidence that the meter will give off readings when certain unexplained occurrences have happened concurrently. So there will be a weird chill in the room, or you'll think you'll hear a voice, or you'll hear a knocking sound. Something that you cannot immediately explain will happen when the meter also spikes. And... They say, well, this is because the two things are connected, and that's what, that's how you know that it's a ghost. This is uh, this is faulty logic and faulty thinking. Is this the same kind of machine that Egon uses? No, that's the, the, the uh, PK meter. Oh. <laughs> which I guess kind of functions in a similar way. It looks for, you know, ectoplasmic energy. So, I mean, it's kind of the same. Is there any science behind ectoplasmic? Ectoplasm is not a thing. It's, it's not a thing at all. Damn it, Ghostbusters lied to me. <laughs> Yeah, I I actually find a lot of fault with that documentary that uh, (laughs) there's a lot of unsubstantiated claims in the Ghostbusters documentary. Yeah, they didn't even show where baby ghosts go to (laughs) the day scare center. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I got a lot of these, baby. (laughs) The important thing to remember when you're a paranormal investigator and you have an EMF meter spike and then you have a weird occurrence happening at the same time. They're probably connected. (laughs) <laughs> no, like if something's gonna, if something spooky's happening, like maybe it's sensing energy or, you know, like a creepy ball goes down a hallway and then it could sense the energy. I have no idea how Well, that's work. what they think. But unfortunately, like correlation is not causation. Like it's that the two things are not connected just because they happened at the same time. And there's really no evidence that the two things are correlated. No, so I'm thinking like the ball moves down the hallway, it's creating energy. It's not a spooky thing that's happening. Like, It's something that's happening together, but it's not spooky. And it's possible. Uh, That's entirely possible. It's actually interesting before that you brought up, like, you know, when I said that the EMF meter, if you move it too quickly, it will go off. And you said, what a piece of crap. Like, (laughs) that's actually a big part of the technology of ghost hunting is usually the more faulty a device is, the more readings it gives and the more it's touted by paranormal investigators as a reliable source of evidence gathering. Like... 
the almighty spirit box. Yeah, the spirit <laughs> box. Uh, we're going to talk about the spirit box in a little bit. God, I hate the spirit box. So the EMF meters are actually marketed. I mean, besides the fact that they're used by the public for other stuff, uh, I know that they're used for, um, you can use them to detect hidden cameras and hidden microphones, which I think is a really cool thing that they can do. They are also marketed to paranormal investigators. And this is seen in the K2 meter, which is a really popular EMF reader, and the ghost meter, which is just an EMF reader that is marketed for paranormal investigators. And it's a piece of crap. It goes off all the time for all kinds of reasons. They will also go off in the presence of cell phones. Not just in the presence of a cell phone, but they'll go, they'll spike if a cell phone is about to send or receive a message. If it's trying to ping a tower, uh, if it's going to signal you that its battery is low, it'll set off the EMF meter. I wonder what these ghost hunters would do if they were dropped in kind of the middle of nowhere. Like, let's say they're dropped in a desert. Like, what would they explain is happening with their readers? Well, they would say ghosts. That's the thing is it's not, they're not looking at it from that practical, you know, perspective of like, okay, we're getting this information, what's causing this to happen? What's causing this anomalous reading? They're looking at it as the anomalous reading is proof of what they're looking for. And that's the problem. And that's why scientists don't really take ghost hunting seriously is they're going into a room and they're saying, hey, if there's someone in this room, can you make the meter jump? And then the meter jumps and they go, there you go. That's proof of ghosts. But it's really not because they don't know actually what's making the meter jump. There's also no hard science that proves that ghosts can affect EMF meters at all or that ghosts exist. So it's all, they're, they're all kind of just playing pretend. They're, it's confirmation bias run rampant is what it really is. Yeah, so I actually don't have a lot to say about EMF readers because it didn't really take a whole lot of research to find that they don't do anything. I mean, not that they don't do anything, but they don't really offer any real evidence or any useful information to a paranormal investigator. Yeah. Uh, even the videos that I watched where paranormal investigators would explain what they did, they couldn't explain why they did what they did. They would say that they worked, they would say they've had great experiences with them, but they weren't able to explain why it detects ghosts, why ghosts produce a certain kind of energy, just that people believe that they do. Mm -hmm. And I think that you cannot pretend that you're performing any kind of scientific investigation under beliefs. You can't go, well, people believe this is why it happens. And it's like, well, then that's not, you can't go on that then. Like, yeah, like our daughter believes in unicorns that they fly into our room and leave presents, but it's just me. <laughs> but the idea that you know, if people believe that this is why it happens, so that's why it happens. You're basically saying we don't know and that's it. We don't know. So we're just going to assume. I can't jive with that at all. I'm not a just because kind of person. I always want to know the reasons for things. So Yeah, it's a real strain on our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> that's why when they say, well, it's believed that this is what it's detecting. We believe that ghosts give off this energy. So that's what we use. It. That just never works for me. And I don't understand why it works for so many paranormal investigators, especially when they, they want to approach it scientifically and they allow this kind of stuff in their investigations. Yeah. So that's EMF readers. Uh, I... I I just don't... You don't <laughs> I, buy it? I don't buy it at all. Once I learned how they worked, I was like, oh, these are bullshit. <laughs> we should buy one. That's That'd a good idea. We should buy one and just, you know, see what happens. Yeah. I mean, nothing's going to happen. But... That's how we find out that our house is actually haunted, like for realsies. <laughs> <laughs> so the final sort of tool that I want to talk about is EVP. I was hoping it was dowsing rods. Do you want to talk about dowsing rods? I do want to talk about dowsing rods a little bit. Go ahead. Um, they're stupid. 
We've seen a lot of videos on people using dowsing rods, which they are used in some paranormal investigations. It just doesn't make sense for ghosts. Yeah. I mean, I understand. I, I don't understand. I was going to say I understand their use for finding water, but that doesn't make any sense either. Yeah. And they start spinning and they're like, oh, it's, they're here. I'm like, why are they spinning rods? Like, can you imagine just a ghost twirling just the thing on top of it? Like, what? Why? Well, I think it's they're supposed to cross, and if they cross, then it's a ghost. Do you think it's something. the ghost holding each side, crossing it? <laughs> like every ghost knows the drill with dowsing rods. Why are the ghosts attract? Why is the rod attracted to the ghost? Is what I want to know. It doesn't make any huh. sense. But I mean, I think the same mechanism is at work with that, as in with a Ouija board, where everyone has their hand on the planchette and you don't realize you're moving it, but you are. I think the dowsing rods function the same way. Maybe. But either way, it looks so stupid. I Yeah, I've never seen anyone with it. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Like, even when I was a believer in the paranormal, I remember watching videos of people using dowsing rods. And I was like, okay, so that's definitely fake. Yeah. <laughs> so EVP is for the people who somehow don't know if you're into paranormal stuff, I'm sure you know, mm-hmm. is stands for electronic voice phenomena. And this is any time that a voice is recorded electronically and its origin is attributed to a spirit or a ghost. This includes recorders with um, like digital recorders, uh, tape deck recorders, and radios, the spirit box. Uh, there's also a device called a ghost radio, which I'm not even going to give it the time <laughs> of day because it is such bullshit. <laughs> And the way that these work is you record a room and or a location and you either unintentionally um, capture some EVP or you intentionally capture it because you've, you know, you've asked questions to the spirits or something like that. Hmm. Now, EVP is actually classed. I don't know if you knew this. Classed? I did not know this. Well, there's different classes of EVP. So, oh. yeah, I had no idea. I thought it was all just a bunch of bullshit, but apparently there's different... <laughs> it's layered bullshit. There's layers of bullshit. <laughs> Class C is the kind where you almost cannot understand what the quote-unquote spirit is saying, and you actually have to pass the audio through multiple layers of filtering in order to bring the audio out. See, then I don't think it counts. It doesn't count, yeah. That's like Photoshop for ghost voices. <laughs> Basically, you're editing the audio to make it sound away so that you can hear what you want to hear. Class B is the most common one that people run into in paranormal investigation shows. And that's the one where you can kind of hear what they're saying. You have to sort of like strain your ears a little bit. And it's it's fairly clear, but you know, you will have to wear headphones, you know, to hear it. And then class A is it's very clear, very easily understood, and it's very loud. These are very rare and I've heard a couple of these class A ones and it just sort of sounds like somebody in the room is talking. Yeah. Which I think is what happened. I think somebody <laughs> said something and then they just forgot they said it. And EVP is, besides like Ouija boards, is one of the oldest tools in a paranormal investigator's uh, pelican case. Uh, <laughs> they all seem to have one of those cases. <laughs> it was first popularized by a parapsychologist named Konstantins Raudiv. Uh, he was a... Oh, I'm sorry, one more time with that name? Konstantins Raudiv. That is rad. We should have named our son that. He um, worked with another paranormal investigator called Hans Barter, and they were very active in the 70s um, investigating hauntings and other paranormal events. And they first studied and popularized the idea of EVP in a book that they wrote called Breakthrough that was about EVP. The 1970s was a huge time for ghost hunting because it's, it's literally when ghost hunting was at its height. Do you think it is because um, that song Boogeyman came out and they were like, oh, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I, I really don't know. I think there was a lot of movies coming out at the time that featured Ouija boards and seances. Uh, the Warrens were, that was their heyday, was in the 70s. You had the Amityville Horror, you had uh, The Exorcist. You had all these paranormal stories coming into the public consciousness that were based on real events. And that got people interested in the paranormal. And we had this resurgence of investigators who were trying to apply modern techniques <laughs> to investigate the paranormal. And unfortunately, it's all a bunch of hokum. Like, there's, there's not really any evidence being gathered here. That's why I hate that um, in the 90s and 2000s, dowsing rods are still being used. How dare you? We have computers. <laughs> yeah, I, I always thought of dowsing rods as like something that like uh, prospectors used in like the old west to yeah. find water or oil or gold or something. <gasps> Do you think that they weren't finding water? They were finding ghosts? <laughs> Like a ghost had been, like someone died and got buried and the ghost got stuck in the grave. No, I mean, just like, they never, there was never water. There's ghosts all over the place. <laughs> I mean, it's just really helpful ghosts that were standing over some water. And they were like, nah, he'll come and he'll find me and he'll think it's the water because otherwise they're going to die. And I don't want to hang out with him longer than I have to. Oh, no. So whether you're talking about, um, it's a digital recording where you're, recording a room and then you're listening back or if you're talking about the spirit box uh the same principles are basically at play spirit box is a device that we both hate uh, a <laughs> lot because it's really stupid it's so loud it's really loud and what it is is it's a device that cycles through radio stations very quickly the idea is that it's gonna pick up if a spirit is gonna try to talk it can talk through the cycling of stations I don't really know exactly how it's supposed to work, uh, you know, from a paranormal perspective. Yeah. What normally happens is you do hear words and stuff, but it's you're cycling through radio stations where presumably people are talking. Yeah, I know they give the excuse that it's going by fast, but still, it's radio. Yeah. And you could have multiple radio stations in a row that it cycles through that just happen to have somebody talking and they just happen to line up the right way to make it sound like a coherent word or sentence. Yeah. Like, while that might be improbable, that doesn't mean it's impossible. <laughs> I think it's just as probable as a spirit trying to talk through a weird radio. <laughs> uh, I love the image of a spirit trying to talk through the radio. Do you think they're just trying to talk normal or are they like at the radio screaming into it? <laughs> <laughs> like they plug their hand into it and just like, how would you Are they possessing know? it? Oh, like possessing the spirit box? Yeah. I don't know. I've never thought of that. I guess I never really questioned how they're talking through any of these things. See, you got to think of these things, man. Like, I, oh, oh, man, we need to get the Amy Allen um, sketch artist <laughs> and have them do what we think is happening with the spirit and the spirit box. Or anybody, anybody listening right now, if, if you want to draw up what you think <gasps> is happening with a spirit yes! box and send it to us, that would be amazing. <laughs> yes. Oh, please do that. Even if it's a stick figure. <laughs> So we're going to listen to some EVP right now uh, for an example, and then we're going to talk about it. Okay. Now what we're going to do is we're going to feed it straight into the sound card. Yeah, I mean, in essence, what you're doing, you're just cutting out the middleman. So, I mean, it's going straight in, and then we can take it straight back out. Yeah, So did you, did you hear it? No. Yeah, I, I didn't either. <laughs> It was basically just a bunch of people talking in a room, and then there's some sound that they claim was not in the room with them. And they go, oh, that's a ghost. That's a ghost. That's stupid. Yeah, and a lot of um, the EVP that I've listened to 
is pretty much the same. Like, if you're looking at it and listening to you're looking at it, if you're listening to it, you're going to hear whatever they think is being said. So if they say, oh, I hear someone saying, get out now, you listen and then you'll hear that. Why is it always in English? Oh, yeah, it always is. Uh, always. That reminds me of um, Destination Truth did something with ghost hunters mm-hmm. and they were in Mexico. And one of the answers was yes. But they said in Spanish, yes means no or something like that. <laughs> and so it's like that. But they tried to explain it, like why it sounded English. Yeah. So it's like, how do you believe it? Like, do the wait a minute. Also, by the way, no in Spanish is no. Do you think that ghosts are like trilingual? No, I think it's all made up. No, I think that they can speak in many different languages and English just happens to be their first one. Well, it's also been proven that no matter where EVP is recorded, the words that are heard, the spirits that are recorded, are always speaking in the language of the investigators that are recording it. Isn't that wild? Now, occasionally, like I've seen it on some ghost hunting shows where there have been somewhere where they're Spanish-speaking people, and they'll hear Spanish words. But they know that they're supposed to hear Spanish words, so they're listening for them. Yeah. And they had a guy on the team who spoke Spanish, so it was like, yeah, of course he's going to hear Spanish words. He's, he's He knows what it sounds like. Yeah. This is pretty much explainable by, one, confirmation bias, people, you know, hearing what they want to hear, and people looking for voices in patterns, mm-hmm. which we know as audio pareidolia. They're they're listening and they're gonna they're gonna hear a human voice even if there isn't a human voice uh one of the recordings that i listened to in my research that was you could first hear someone say get out now but then when you listen back to it you could also hear them say chicken sandwich now (laughs) (laughs) and even though those two sentences don't sound alike if you i tell you that that's what it's gonna say that's what you're gonna hear also um real quick can we make a drinking game every time you say confirmation bias Confirmation bias? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Oh, sweet. I'll make sure to put that uh, caveat in the beginning of... It'll be on our post. (laughs) And unfortunately, I do hate that I have to say it so often, but with all of the tools that we've talked about so far, that is what's happening, is you have people that are getting false positives, and they're not investigating or trying to debunk their own false positives. They're also finding anomalies and saying that the anomalies that they're finding are proof of the paranormal or whatever. They're not investigating any further. As soon as they get the proof they want, they run with it. Now, I'm not saying that all paranormal investigators do this. I know that a lot of amateur paranormal investigators don't rely on some of these tools because they understand they're basically worthless. But on TV, every paranormal investigation team, no matter how good or bad, most of them are bad, Mm -hmm. they use these tools. And I think that informs the decisions that a lot of amateur paranormal investigators make because they're doing what they see on TV. They see someone on TV with this big kit, they want to get the same kit because they want to be doing it as good as they possibly can be. Unfortunately, there's information that they're missing there. Like, yeah, why are they confirmation using... bias? Confirmation bias. <laughs> why are they using these tools? What are these tools actually recording? That's an important piece of the puzzle. And it's an important part of ghost hunting. I I mean, I don't want to, you know, rain on anybody's parade. Like, if you believe in ghosts and you want to find proof, do it find that proof because that would be an amazing discovery yeah but at the same time like you've got to go about it the right way and you have to question every step that you take if you're trying to use evp as a way of you know capturing the presence of a spirit you have to be absolutely certain that there's nothing else that could be making that noise and that's going to take a lot of research ghosts should be the final thing that you you know you hit upon yeah and there's so many people in that room there's a cameraman there's a boom mic guy like there's whoever's investigating like they're never really alone 
Yeah, absolutely. There's such a thing as audio artifacts, where there's background noises that maybe we don't hear in the moment, but the mic picks up on. It could be a fan. It could be, you know, some kind of ambient noise that you're not really hearing in the moment. And that's going to show up in the audio. And if you're not sure what it is, you can say that. You can say, I don't know what that noise is. You can't go, I don't know what that noise is, so it's a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> like, that doesn't make sense. It's wild that that's your first go-to. <laughs> or ghost-to. Ba-da-ba-ba-da-ba. Uh-oh. That's it. I broke Jerry. You've broken me. Once an episode. I'm destroyed. I do think that... I know that it can be kind of a, uh, you know, sort of a party pooper, you know, Mm -hmm. attitude to have when looking at ghost hunting and saying, well, you can't rely on EVP, you can't rely on EMF, the connect is bogus, Ouija boards don't work, but I'm exercising one of the most (laughs) in, (laughs) like exercising a ghost. Yes, thank you. Thank you for explaining that for the audience. Well, uh, you just laughed. You didn't, you didn't tell everyone else would know what that meant. Well, maybe. (laughs) I'm exercising one of the most important tools, in my opinion, to have when investigating the paranormal. And that is a healthy skepticism. Because if every single thing that you see, you automatically go, ghost, then you're never really going to find the proof that you need to one, be taken seriously, and to two, to prove that ghosts are real. That skepticism is really how you separate the bullshit from the reality. I'm not trying, like I said, to rain on anyone's parade. I'm trying to... Get rid of all the crap that we have in Paranormal Investigating so that we can get to the real investigation. You're the physical embodiment of the Debbie Downer sketch, but with ghosts. (laughs) Also, I do understand that some Paranormal Investigation is done for fun. Yeah. Where the people are there to be scared, to, to just have a good time. For the spookies. Yeah, for the spookies. And that totally do that. I don't think there's any problem with that. But if you're doing those kinds of things and you're wanting to be taken seriously as an investigator of the paranormal, you need to step up your game if these things are a part of your investigative toolbox. Because there's no proof behind them. And they don't produce any proof as a result. Boom. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> don't drop these mics, though. They're expensive. <laughs> They're snowballs. We could throw them. <laughs> Maybe just the ghosts are really sad and they really want everyone to know that they missed their favorite dessert. Ice cream. <laughs> Get out of my house. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I am shamed. <laughs> so that's all we have for this episode. Um, I know we didn't really cover like a ton, but really when I was looking through all the ghost hunting tools, they all basically... I felt could be kind of conglomerated into just a couple of different categories. Uh, I also intentionally didn't cover absolutely everything because I want to touch on this subject again in the future. I would like to do a two-hour special just on dowsing rods. <laughs> Exclusively on dowsing You're rods. so down on dowsing rods. <laughs> They're the war. I remember watching um, Most Haunted or something like that in like year 2000. So I was about 12 and I saw those and I'm like, that is stupid. And I believed in ghost hardcore. So I thought that was dumb. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> if you're a dowsing rod expert, please email us at harleyparanormal at gmail.com. I think you could just say that. Like, I'm a dowsing rod expert. Like, <laughs> just like a Reiki master. I think I can say that now. <laughs> I'm a dowsing rod expert. Deal with it. Oh, I'm going to put that on my resume. <laughs> <laughs> professional, professional dowser. Oh, yes. That's a good one. Earlier in the week, we released our first episode of a little mini episodes 
of the Spooky Reviews, where we review a paranormal reality show that we like or loathe. <laughs> <laughs> and we are going to be doing those every week. If you have any suggestions of shows that you want us to cover, because I've already received a suggestion, uh, please go ahead and send those to us, because there's like thousands of these <laughs> shows. So it's going to take us forever to get through them, but I think we're up to the task. Oh, yes. If you like this episode, you can follow us on Twitter at Hardly Paranormal with a Y. Um, we're also on Instagram at Hardly Paranormal, where I am the most active. Uh, you can also join our Facebook group, Hardly Paranormal. That I like to haunt. <laughs> um, you can also subscribe to us on CastBox, like us, um, leave us a comment on CastBox. But like, like us as people. As people, yeah, like as individuals. Yeah. The show, I mean, who cares? But... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, also, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because it does help us out a lot. It helps us reach more ears. You can also follow us on Spotify uh, or basically anywhere that you get your podcasts. If you have any questions or comments or want to send us suggestions for future episodes or reviews, you can email us at hardlyparanormal at gmail.com. Yeah, son. <laughs> I've been Jerry. I've been your confirmation bias connoisseur, Lacey. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, it's probably just the wind. <laughs>